Hello, and welcome to the Measure Up Podcast, a show dedicated to helping marketers and analytics professionals know what's working, what's not, and how to measure it all. I'm your host, Jim Genolio. Listen along as I talk to people just like you who are dealing with the marketing measurement challenges in today's world and learn best practices, tips, and actionable advice. All right, a lot of CMOs have been facing reduced budgets over the past year due to economic headwinds, the recession, and you know uncertainty in the market, which is a trend that doesn't appear to be ending anytime soon. Now, decisions need to be made about how to allocate a smaller pool of funds and which marketing activities to prioritize. Do we prioritize brand and, and top of funnel activity or performance marketing and bottom of funnel activities? To help you make these decisions, I'm lucky enough to have Greg Dolan on the show to share his decades of experience as a brand marketer and also as co-founder of Keen, a software-as-a-service marketing mix modeling platform that's been around since 2011. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. Really excited about the conversation. Uh, definitely timely given the uh, the market that we're all facing. Yeah, it's it's been a rough couple of years, you know, getting hit by by COVID after sort of 10 years of, of uh, bull market and everything up and to the right. And then COVID comes in and turns us all around and disrupts our supply chains. And, you know, now we have, you know, infl- uh, interest rates going up and inflation going up. And, you know, what's a marketer to do? <laughs> well, it's it's really unprecedented. If I think about the last time we went through a recession, it was 2008 and the Great Recession. Uh, so most marketers that are running businesses and brands right now haven't experienced this kind of marketplace, this kind of economy, and some of the decisions that they're facing. And what makes things worse is that the the marketplace has become increasingly more fragmented. There's more channels, more decisions that need to make. Everything's moving faster. So they're coming at uh, they're coming at marketers fast, and they have to be equipped with the right you know data and information and tools to be able to make those decisions. Yeah, I mean it, it's hard to even think back to you know 2008 and how things were different. But you think about you know what were what were your digital spends? They were. Mm, Google and Facebook, maybe <laughs> yeah, that was maybe a little bit of display thrown in there. But yeah, I mean, things have, like you said, definitely fragmented and, and gotten a lot faster, um, which, you know, makes the decision making a, a lot more challenging. So we, we have to have the right tools. Uh, speaking of, I think you you have a tool that you would probably recommend to, to marketers. Yeah, to make their decisions. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about Keen, uh, maybe a, a brief overview of, of Keen, what you guys have been up to for the past uh, 12 or so years, and you know, maybe a little bit about the problems you solve, what you do, the kind of companies you work with, those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so maybe a, a little bit about my background as well, which led us to, uh, to starting Keen. So I was actually a brand marketer in my past life. So started my career managing brands and big food companies. So Nabisco Craft Foods, Campbell Soup Company. Uh, so I was managing brands during the last big recession. So I, I know what it's like to kind of sit in the chair of marketers and have to make these decisions. Uh, to your point, they were a lot easier back then. I had to decide between print, you know, TV and a few digital channels, but it was still hard because uh, what I had at my disposal was traditional kind of what I call old fashioned marketing mix. It was you know, once a year, I'm going to collect a bunch of data. I'm going to have a consultant do a custom analysis, and then I'm going to get a 200-page PowerPoint deck. And we know that that just doesn't jive with today's environment, uh, given how fragmented, given how fast the marketplace is moving. 
So I was lucky enough in 2009, 2010 to meet my technical co-founder, John Busmus, and he had been doing traditional marketing mix uh, analytics consulting for the pharma industry, IMS Health, CS Associates. And uh, he and I both felt like there was an opportunity to disrupt this space. Uh, I think we were a little bit ahead of the market, but we felt like software uh, kind of leveraging data as data was being invested in and collected could be utilized and brought to bear to drive better decision-making and, uh, and provide ongoing guidance to marketers uh, as they're faced with these decisions and tie them directly to the financial results that they're being held accountable for. So tie it to the balance sheet, not just the P&L, the balance sheet and the P&L as they're making those decisions. So that was uh, what's uh, was the idea that started Keen. So we started 2011. Uh, really, uh, we were trying to disrupt not only the delivery mechanism being software, but also the methodology. Uh, so we I felt uh, like there was an opportunity to bring what we call the full knowledge, knowledge estate to bear, which includes uh, Bayesian priors and regression uh, approaches. So we built a proprietary... And you, were, and you were doing this back in 2011. 2011. Yeah. yeah we, you, we, weren't, uh, you, weren't, uh, you weren't joking when you said you were ahead of the curve. <laughs> Yeah, so so luckily we uh, we bootstrapped the company, so we we bought ourselves some time just to kind of build the platform that we we're creating and uh, build the IP uh, behind the platform, which is uh, is our marketing elasticity engine. So we actually start and have built a database of marketing elasticities uh, that are across industries, geographies, brands, categories, etc. That serve as the starting point for our model. So we bring relevant, timely industry information as a starting point for our models that are are fueled by machine learning. So every new data point that comes out of our system uh, fuels that database as a starting point for our models. Uh, so we can actually build models with no data from the client at all. So uh, just some financial data with our elasticities, we can get to uh, a directional understanding of per past performance and get to an optimized plan. But then we bring in all the other information that the brand has. So previous analytics studies, marketing mix, uh, marketing attribution, list studies, et cetera. And all that information could be used to edit our priors. And then we bring in the time series activity data and financials to push and pull those elasticities in the direction of the data signal. So that's where the AI kind of machine learning is built into the application. So the brand can continually learn from the information that's coming into the system. Nice. And so when you when you said elasticities, I know um, I heard you talk about this on a previous podcast too. In my mind, it initially went to sort of price elasticity, which I don't think is the way that you're using it. Are you t talking about it more in terms of, you know, like an ad stock variable, like how long does uh, the effectiveness of an ad last over time or how fast does it decay? Is that more uh, how you're kind of using that? It's the it's the effectiveness of each dollar spent in each marketing channel. So essentially, you know, how much more can I spend on a curve, and what is the expected impact of each marketing channel? So okay. we know typically what a GRP of TV for a brand in a certain category will deliver mm -hmm. as a starting point. Also, given the bets that they've placed in the past and where they've spent their dollars, so uh, basically building response curves based on gotcha. that information. That allows us to understand past performance and and then also start to optimize looking forward. Yeah, that's that, and that's so nice. You know, having I'm assuming the past you know ten or so years of data, kind of working into this and and being able to build this model out. And you know, having it across various industries or categories and being able to to line that up, which is, is super helpful. Um, so 
when clients come to you, are they coming with the typical questions that, that companies looking for marketing mix modeling are looking for? Kind of the general, like, how do I optimize my marketing mix? Where should I put my budget? Or are there other specific things that they're coming to you for? I mean, that's, that's really the, the biggest question. So, you know, marketers, uh, so I have a, a staff from uh, a study that I read a couple of weeks ago where, you know, 65% of marketers are, are being asked to demonstrate value of marketing and start to show a dollar of invested in marketing delivers X in profit and, and revenue and profit. And only about 35% of marketers can actually give you a marketing ROI, right? So, there's an accountability gap in terms of marketing, and that's really what we're trying to solve here. So we know, uh, you know, as uh, as marketers and folks that believe in marketing is a driver of value, we know that marketing drives short-term and long-term value, uh, and that's part of what we've built into our application and then prove out. So I know we're going to talk about kind of supporting the full funnel, uh, but one of the unique aspects of our system is that we built in. Uh, long-term effects into our model as well. So as we're building response curves, we're actually accounting for the timing impact of marketing as well to get to the right balance of how do I support the top of the funnel versus mid-funnel, bottom of the funnel based on what financial goals I'm being I'm looking to achieve, right? Is it a short-term revenue goal or is it a long-term kind of value goal? Uh, really starting to tie marketing to the balance sheet. Yeah, and, and especially that upper funnel, that that brand awareness, brand activity is even with marketing mix modeling, it's very difficult to tie to, you know, dollars and cents revenue. Um, right. You know, obviously, marketing mix modeling can kind of do a little bit more longer term than you know, multi-touch attribution. But you know, for that that really like, what's the value of this brand ad over the next five years? Right? Like, how does that accumulate over time? That's that's definitely a tricky thing to. Uh, to be able to kind of put forth some some solid numbers and be confident that like yes, this is the value of that. But um, I want to one thing that you mentioned too is uh, that thirty five percent of marketers can actually give an ROI, but sixty five percent are being asked for it. Or is it something? I, the numbers are yeah, got probably yeah, yeah. But that's right. Uh, that's about right. I wonder is is do you see that being kind of driven by this, you know, performance marketing that we've been living in, kind of driven by digital, where the idea was that, oh, it's so trackable and we can see exactly how much, you know, people click on this ad and then they buy and here's how much it was worth. And do you think that's kind of driving this sort of business level need to show value from marketing and and maybe like marketers are being kind of pulled into it because of that? Well, I think every every marketer is being pulled to the bottom of the funnel. Uh, and that's the challenge. That's what performance marketing is driving, right? Because if, and the, and with cookies going away, it's going to be more, obviously more difficult to be able to even demonstrate that, right? So statistical inference and being able to, and having approaches like we have, I think are going to be key, which also allow you to look at things from an omni-channel perspective. So part of the big problem of just focusing on the bottom of the funnel, one is that all your marketing decays really quickly and becomes less efficient and effective over time as a result. You have to continue to spend more money to get the same amount of revenue, uh, especially when you're kind of ignoring the top of the funnel. So you're not really building any any value uh, in your in your brand, which is really what we're out after at the end of the day anyway. Brands deliver value, deliver shareholder value. And if you're just focused on the bottom of the funnel, you're focused on something that's unsustainable, right? And becomes more expensive over time. But that's really where the 
the account that's where you've been able to show accountability to your point jim it's like it, that's where we have have some data to be able to show consumer journey and how things are are clicking through i think it's a false perception of accuracy that we're seeing there uh, which is why we've taken the approach that that we have um, in looking at full funnel you know omni channel how do all of these pieces impact each other what are the portfolio and halo effects how do they all interact with each other because we know that all ships will rise uh, based on supporting the full funnel and will drive more value. We just ran a, a study with our own data coming out of the system where we ran a bunch of scenarios with a $10 million budget. We looked at uh, top of the funnel, bottom of the funnel balance. So what does it look like? 30, 70, 40, 60, 50, 50. And what we found was that uh, the max ROI and value can be driven when you spend 70% of your dollars at the top of the funnel and 30% at the bottom of the funnel, you can drive a lot more short-term value if you're more 50-50, but you're also going to be driving less value. So we've been able to quantify that and, and really understand the trade-offs of, kind of looking at different objectives, financial objectives, and what you're trying to achieve with the brand. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, I, I, I wonder if you're familiar with uh, the the long and the short of it, Les Benet yes. and Peter Feld. Yeah. It's similar. Yeah, like, yeah. The numbers are in the same range, right? The 60-40, 70-30 kind of split between brand and performance. Um, and it's it's interesting to see that you're kind of seeing similar things in your data too as well. And Yeah, I, I had my marketing team send that directly to Les <laughs> so you can see it. <laughs> nice. Very yeah. cool. Hey, it's Jim here with Quick Aside. If you're listening to this episode and enjoying it, I've got to tell you about the Mix It Up newsletter from MMM Hub. It's a free newsletter that provides resources on how to effectively measure your marketing. It includes helpful tutorials, cutting-edge tools, and relevant articles so readers can make smarter decisions with their marketing dollars. You can sign up today at mmmhub.org. Now back to the show. So kind of kind of diving into the, the main theme for today's episode, the fact that we're all facing you know, economic headwinds and and a lot of marketing departments, a lot of CMOs are being asked to do more with less. Um, you know, I, I was I was looking at uh, at Keen's website and looking at some recent blogs that you guys have, and there's just in the past couple of months, there's three reasons not to go dark during a recession. There's how to win in a down economy, the importance of maintaining brand equity through a recession. Like those are three blog posts just in the past couple of months, uh, and I know there's a whole. Uh, series on on your YouTube channel where you were talking with uh, Cesar Bray of, of Banning Company about marketing and a down economy. You guys have been putting out a, a lot of great content here. Um, so this is something you've been thinking about and writing a lot about lately. So let me let me pose a uh, fictitious scenario to you and get your take on it. So let's say you're the CEO of a company and you were just told your budget's been reduced by 20% for the year. So for example, let's put some good hard round numbers to it and say, you did have five million for the year. Now you need to find a way to cut a million dollars from your budget. So you need to get it to around four million dollars. So, how do you decide how to make those cuts? Well, if you don't have a predictive system like ours, <laughs> that's like some plug here. Um, <laughs> you're you're trying to infer um, outcomes based on past analysis, right? So, I could tell you back in. 2008 and things haven't really changed that much. Honestly, there's some optimizers out there, but they're essentially taking past marketing mix or other analytics and they're trying to apply them forward against an outcome uh, in a in a pretty crude and and uh, really applying a blunt instrument uh, to that. Right. So, 
how do I take a million dollars? Oh, I'm going to take it out of my least, my lowest ROI that I saw in my last marketing mix. Uh, and I'm going to take it all out of there. Well, we know that that's probably not the best thing to do. And there's no real way to forecast that because you're not really accounting for the external environment and other external factors that may be, be impacting your business. So in, in reality, you could be, and you're likely taking from the top of the funnel as well, because you can actually track the bottom of the funnel more effectively, right? So what I always saw was, hey, we're going to put more in digital and then we're going to put more in trade promotion if I'm a CPG brand, as an example, because I know I'm going to get metrics associated with performance in a more direct way. Uh, we know from our work over the last 11 years that that's going to do more harm than good in a business. Right. Uh, you're, and, you're, and, you're sort of shooting yourself in the foot. You're, you might be almost falsely showing short-term gains or at least not showing any losses immediately, but in the long run, you're really hurting yourself because you're you're lowering the overall demand or the awareness of your product or affinity towards your brand. That's just going to hurt you months or years from from then. We did an analysis. We had a, a client that actually asked us, "What happens if we cut all our marketing?" Um, <laughs> which I still can't believe that question was asked. And it was a pretty large company that asked this question. Uh, so we did an analysis, basically optimi- you know, showed an optimization, showed us an, a simulation with all the marketing dollars out. What happens to the decay of your volume over time when you don't have any marketing? It's kind of refilling that bathtub, right? As it's the the, the decay is is actually going through the drain. Um, and what we what we saw was that it was going to actually cost them two times more in their marketing to regain the same amount of volume post being dark. So that's part of the uh, the thought piece that we have out there around the cost of being dark. We know it's going to be a lot more expensive to get the volume back uh, versus sustaining and driving continuity through a down economy. Uh, it's mathematics that we, mathematical that we, and we could show the impact of that. So uh, that's, a, that's a big piece. I mean, I always tell, tell the story of, uh, you know, I was at Campbell Soup Company. I was running the VA portfolio. I just launched a new campaign. It was awesome. Like every marketer, the best campaign ever. Uh, and the the great recession happened and no one wanted to buy, you know, three, four dollar juice anymore. And what happened there was that marketing was blamed for everything. Right. <laughs> and in reality, it was pricing. It was the economy. It was lower discretionary income. And what we've tried to create with our system is a way to simulate those external factors to understand uh, based on what you're trying to achieve, where you cut, how how deep you cut, and then what you can expect from both a top line and bottom line perspective. So we did that through COVID. We did that through the supply chain and inflation challenges that we've seen. We're seeing it now as marketing spend is being pulled back. What does that all look like? And how do I account for the economic factors, the competitive factors, uh, the pricing that was taken over the last couple of years to compensate for the inflation. How does that all impact the way I think about the business going forward? So it's really reframing from a strict measurement perspective to a uh, optimization, forward-looking planning perspective that can be actualized and updated with new information. Yeah, no, I, I love that. It, I know you said a client asked you to do this, so it wasn't so much a thought exercise, but I like it as a thought exercise too. Is like, what would happen if we literally just cut all marketing today and you know you've asked you can think about it logically and say well does that mean we're going to stop selling everything tomorrow like we're going to have zero sales tomorrow of course not right but eventually over time with some measurable decay rate it's going to slow down which always you know when i see these you know articles on on linkedin or, or on twitter where people are you know the the, the 
common ones that you'll that you've seen in the past, like uh, you know in, when eBay cut their entire branded search spend, or when um, uh, I think it was PNG uh, cut back a lot of their digital spend. They, you know, we saw no impact from cutting back on all of this spend and you know, millions of dollars, and we stopped it, and nothing happened. And I'm like, in the back of my mind, I always wonder, well. Tell me how that looks a year from now. Like, if it stays the same, that's great. Yeah, but um, it's always something to think about. Is like, yeah, of course, it's not going to immediately change. But what does it look like over time? <laughs> in in marketer, and I think that's the frustrating thing for me is the marketers don't have the long term understanding of what that does. Right. So it's you know I got to keep my volume where it is in the short term. So I'm going to put everything at the bottom of the funnel. I'm going to spend more dollars there. And we know that that decays more quickly. And if you also do that, you know, you're going to lose distribution or you're going to, your competitor is going to outspend you. So to your point, it's going to exacerbate and accelerate the declines that you're going to see as well by not supporting the business, particularly at the top of the funnel and making sure your brand is at the forefront of the consumer's mind as they're making these decisions. Uh, so, you know, we, we've had clients that kind of spent through COVID and spent through the last couple of years. Sometimes they were locked into spend that they had already committed to. So it wasn't necessarily something that they wanted to do, but we were able on, a, on the backside of that, show them the reason, the reason why you guys continue to be in a competitively advantageous uh, situation is that you continue to spend your competitor didn't. Right. And you have, you're in a much stronger position now as the economy and the category gets better than your, than your competitors are. Absolutely. So I think we've already talked about maybe one of the common mistakes that people make. So when they're facing these sort of situations where they have to reduce spend and like we talked about, maybe they reduce upper funnel and, and put more on the, the bottom of the funnel, the performance marketing. What what are some of the other common mistakes that you see happening in, in today's environment? What, what what are marketers doing that you think, oh, you shouldn't do that? Is it, are there some, some big common mistakes that people are making? I think, I think there's the, you know, um, there's cutting in general, right? So that's first and foremost. Like it, you may have to cut based on not having supply or, you know, just economically you're being asked to do less uh, from a, a revenue and profit perspective, but you don't want to cut too deep. The The other piece is, make, is uh, probably funneling too much into a, a given tactic or channel that you think is your only performing channel. In reality, there's a there's diminishing returns and there's response curves. So uh, as you pass the, the, the point of diminishing returns, every dollar you spend is going to be less profitable. So continuing to have balance in your mix is really important as well, right? You, wanna, you don't want to be overspending in one channel relative to another. Uh, in that cumulative effect, the interaction effects of all the channels are going to have a bigger impact on your overall performance. So that's, that's another one. Um, and along with that, we see a lot of marketers... Um, and this is where you know we do a lot of work in CPG, where I'm gonna I'm gonna just cut all my marketing dollars and put it in trade and price, right? Just to drive volume, which is the same thing as putting everything at the bottom of the funnel and performance marketing, and that has the same kind of impact, and also shifts a lot of leverage to the retailer versus the brand, right? Because now that those dollars are with the retailer, it's tough to bring them back and and redeploy them uh, back to brand building once the uh, once the economy and the market gets better. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with with price. You know, I mean, you're you're training your customers um, to expect something, you know, lower price, and then like right. trying to raise raise the prices is a lot harder. Although, definitely with inflation, it seems like any company can get away with just you know increasing their price and being like, 
hey, it's inflation. <laughs> My wife. Oh, they can do that. Yeah, they can do that until they have to when they they cycle that pricing action. They got to actually drive volume. <laughs> that's that's the thing, and that's where marketing comes in. Exactly. Yeah, no, the the whole like you know um, price and and uh, and trade like that's an area where you know admittedly I'm not knowledgeable about. Right, I I am firmly in sort of the digital marketing, digital analytics. Uh, the space is kind of where I've lived at. And it's, I feel like at least in my little circle or my little bubble, you know, that's something that not a lot of us think about is the full marketing picture, right? We're just one, one of the four P's, the promotion, and we forget about the price and the placement and the product. But, you know, those are things that, you know, if we really want to be good at, at what we do, we have to really consider those as well. I mean, they, they have a huge impact on your investment profile, right? So if, if you're, not on the first page on, on Amazon, and you're advertising to uh, promote that, you're not you're not going to be available to the consumer, or you're they're not going to be able to find you in distribution. So, I think that's that's key to making sure all those four P's are working together to make sure that your your promotion P is getting you're getting the most out of every dollar there. So, that's one of the reasons why we you know we call them, uh, we were calling them control factors, but they're external environmental factors that we incorporate into our modeling that can also be, uh, you can, you, you could do sensitivity r- analysis around it. So what if the economy's worse? What the, what if the economy's better? What if competitors are more aggressive or less aggressive? And all of those pieces, uh, will impact how you spend and what you can expect from your spend. So it's not just about what we're doing. It's about how we're operating in the external world. That's key to really understanding performance and, and, uh, how we improve performance over time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like you mentioned, you know, when, in 2008, when everything went bad, you know, everyone likes to blame the marketers, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, at the end of the day, you know, marketing has a pretty, you know, relatively a small impact, um, for a lot of companies, you know, maybe it's, it's driving an additional five or 10% of, of incremental sales, right? It's, yeah. all, it's all the other things that are much more impactful, right? It's the, the promotions, that, the sales that you have going on, your price, your, placement of your product, your, you know, are you on the end cap of the store? What are yep. your competitors doing? Right. So yeah, it's definitely good to see the full picture. Um, I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, about that, that funnel, right. Top of funnel, mid funnel, mm-hmm. bottom of funnel. Um, you know, like we mentioned before, a lot of times companies will either just tend to go dark or they'll toss money to the bottom of the funnel. And, you know, I was thinking about this and, you know, recessions tend to lead to reduced demand. So it doesn't seem like it would make sense to focus on putting more money into demand capture if there's less demand overall. But at the same time, the folks who are keeping a close eye on money may not be comfortable spending it on top of funnel activities that don't show that direct line relationship with revenue. Of course, unless they're using some some tools like, like Keen or some marketing mix modeling that is able to show that. So what do you, what recommendations do you give to clients that are sort of facing these decisions? I know the, the easy answer is let's put money at, at performance because we can easily show that, you know, that's providing value, but how do you, how do you talk to clients about this, this point? I think, um, I think if you're not using a system like ours, um, it's really hard to quantify the long-term impact. I think we're pretty unique in the sense of being able to quantify that in our system. And understand the trade-offs. So, 
any kind of traditional mix uh, is is going to probably overemphasize bottom of the funnel uh, and and those uh, those decisions. I think backing up though, if I'm a if I'm talking to a senior leader, I want to get really clear on what their objectives are. Like, what are you trying to achieve uh, from a a decision hierarchy perspective in this economy? So if if I'm my old company, Campbell Soup Company, I got a portfolio of brands. Like which brands do I think will win or not? And then I'm doing an optimization, which we could do in our system as well to say, how much do I invest in brand A versus brand B versus brand C? And then start to drill into lower levels of granularity from there to say, what are my expectations for each one of these brands? What are my revenue profit expectations? And then how do I build the right mix and plan timing to be able to achieve that? Um, And I think in the absence of that and knowing what decisions are really driving the business, you end up making you know, poor decisions or the easy decision or, you know, gravitate to the only thing, only piece of data that you can actually, um, you know, prove out and, and, and demonstrate value around. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's tough because everyone, every marketer thinks that the top of the funnel is the Holy grail in terms of, and it's not, we can't understand or quantify it, which again, leads to decisions to, put all your dollars at the bottom of the funnel, which wastes a lot of dollars. So I think having a good understanding of what you're trying to achieve for the business, what goals you're trying to uh, achieve, what objectives you're, you're putting out there um, across your portfolio within each brand by channel, I think that's that's where you can start making better decisions. Yeah. And there's another aspect to this that involves the organizational structure, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of companies are still very siloed, which makes measuring and planning and optimizing and forecasting extremely difficult. Um, so just imagine trying to reduce marketing expenses across three or four different silos. You have your media, retail media network team over here and your shopper marketing here and your trade merchandising over there and digital media sits over here, traditional media over there and and trying to you know do any kind of budget optimization or budget allocation or really optimizing that kind of full mix uh, with a siloed organization seems, um, you know, impossible, right? So how, how do you, are you, are you, are you still seeing this within companies where there's a siloed, you know, that more siloed nature than, than not, or are you seeing, uh, the opposite? Uh, unfortunately, this is the, the majority of organizations are still very siloed and the budgets split up across different parts of the organization. Uh, I was doing, um, a, uh, a video podcast with uh, the head of marketing at Profitero, e- at Profitero e-commerce uh, platform. And they're seeing it as well. A lot of times you'll see these you know, centers of excellence pop-ups. You'll have an e-com center of excellence, an analytics center of excellence, and you'll have different groups that are focused on different silos in the marketing mix. Um, and when you do that, you don't have a full holistic view, omni-channel view on how to allocate your dollars. And when you don't do that, you're leveraging different data sets you have different decision makers. So there's really no way to make sure that you're driving the most efficiency that you can across an entire business. So where we see kind of best practices, and I think this is an opportunity in this very difficult market is for marketers uh, and organizations to start rethinking you know, how they run their business, what their go-to-market is, how they think holistically across their business, which will then unlock dollars that they could free up and drive more efficiency with the dollars that they are deploying. Uh, but it's very difficult when you're, uh, say you're, you're, you have a revenue management group that's focused on kind of merchandising and pricing, and you have a media group that's focused on retail media. And maybe there's another group that's focused on shopper marketing. 
and none of them are really kind of working cohesively and collaboratively together to get to the best outcome for the business. Yeah. Is, is the solution um, just sort of change management? It's like it, it needs to come from the top down from the CEO and and say, this is how we need to change and go through the hard <laughs> the hard challenges of, of reorganization and, and going through the change management? Or have you seen uh, a company successfully de-silo their, their organizations? It is change management and it does have to come down you know, from the top. So, you know, strategy drives structure and, and ultimately the staffing associated with that. And, um, you know, we had, we just had a couple of client organizations that, you know, started putting the pieces together in a growth organization. This is a trend that we're seeing where, you know, e-com was separate, you had brick and mortar traditional media, they're pulling everything together under a, you know, a chief growth officer that kind of looks across the entire business and has responsibility for driving performance. And I think once you get to that, you can start looking uh, and making decisions more holistically with a viewpoint that you have across the entire business. Yeah. I mean, do you think that organizations that that don't evolve, um, I mean, maybe this is a broad statement, do you, but do you think they're they're doomed for failure or um, it seems like the, the ones that do evolve and are able to act more quickly and more decisively based on on actual data and seeing what's happening versus those that are siloed, it seems like it's a clear winner scenario. I, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I see a world that, you know, we, we hear a lot about AI now, um, and <laughs> it's everywhere. And, uh, I see more and more automation happening in decision-making. So how do you set yourself up with the right organization that can leverage the right data and technology to be able to move faster and more effectively? And the folks that are making the changes now in their organizations and getting their data organized, not necessarily book boiling the ocean, but get, you know, organizing the right data to feed into a MarTech stack that can help them make decisions faster and more accurately that can then be repeatable through software and technology. I think that's where we're headed. So the organizations that are planning for that now are the ones that are going to win uh, and ultimately have the leverage to be able to compete more effectively. Absolutely. Greg, uh, you've dropped so many awesome pieces of knowledge on us here today. Um, where can people learn more from you, about you, about Keen? Where can they reach out to you if they have questions? So uh, they can go to our website, uh, which is keends.com. Uh, and uh, we have a YouTube channel, have tons of content, as you mentioned. Uh, we'd love to have a conversation with folks that are interested in learning more about our platform and, and how we could drive value. At the end of the day, uh, what we're trying to do is just drive a connection between the decisions you're making every day and in your marketing in your marketing plan and your investments uh, to growth and show you a path to continuously improve. So we'd love to have a conversation and appreciate the conversation with you, Jim. It's been awesome uh, and looking forward to continuing it. Uh, you know, post uh, post conversation here. Absolutely, and yeah, we would love to have you back on the show sometime. Uh, but until then. Everyone out there, keep on uh, analyzing your marketing data and making smart decisions and don't go dark and don't put it all at the bottom of the funnel. You heard it here first. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Jim. Well, my friend, you've made it to the end of the show, which means you either found it so riveting you couldn't turn it off or you're out for a jog and can't easily hit the skip button on your phone. Either way, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would find it helpful. And please, as a personal favor to me, go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this and leave a rating and review. 
that helps others find us, but more importantly, shows that you're a thought leader who cares about your craft and wants others to join this tribe.